What's up, Hyperfast Nation? On this episode of the show, I sat down with a real estate veteran of over three decades. He started his career 31 years ago with his wife. They sold 100 homes their first year, have done that ever since, and have gradually raised their price point. They've started a coaching program now that's helped thousands of people. Welcome to the show, Tim Harris. Welcome to the show today, Tim. I'm excited to have you on. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. This will be fun. And uh, I'll, inter I'll uh, apologize to all of your uh, folks ahead of time that if you hear um, wild animal noises, mosquito noises, it's because <laughs> we're up on a mountain in the middle of Appalachia, and that's just the way it goes. Well, lucky you. Um, great, I'm sure that's an awesome place to be in the summer, and I understand you also spend a lot of time in... Puerto Rico. So why don't you give people a little bit uh, about your background and, and how you got to this amazing place in life where you can be in all these awesome places? Well, thank you for the compliment. Um, Julie and I have been married for 31 years. And when we were in our early 20s, uh, we, um, were, we started selling real estate, basically right out of college. And the, we've, I think we did our first transaction when we were 22 and 23. And our first full year selling real estate, we sold over 100 homes. And ever since then, well, we sold over 100 homes, between 100 and 200 homes for, it was prob it was almost 10 years. And we went from a first-time home buyer price range. And as we rounded the bend in our real estate selling career, then we started focusing on luxury homes. So we've kind of done the gambit. But we had, this was pre-internet, which is kind of hilarious. Um, you know, this mm. was uh, in the early 90s. I know, isn't that funny to think about before the internet? <laughs> so we had, um, we, I, I remember when they, I remember actually when, uh, you know, when they started selling URLs, like timandjulieharris.com is like an ancient URL because we bought it in 96 or 97, one of those years, when they first started selling consumer URLs. Oh, wow. Yeah. So in any event, we had um, a lot of folks were starting, this was before there was coaching and there was training. There, were, there was training, but there was no coaching. And so Julie and I, the coaching industry was just getting started. Like in the, this was in the late nineties where people were starting to, um, you know, Howard Brenton and some others were starting to say, well, let's talk about selling coaching. And so Julie and I were speaking at a big Howard Brenton event. I'll tell you exactly what happened. Uh, and there was maybe 2000 people in the room and Julie and I were in, you know, so the stage is way in front of the room and Julie and I are in the back and Howard said, um, you know, Howard's passed on, but Howard said, I'm thinking I, we're going to start a coaching uh, and, uh, coaching business, and this it's going to be you know Howard said I'm going to be coaching some agents, and these other you know five or six people are going to be coaching some agents, and you know we're going to start this. And we're not really sure if you guys are interested in. Uh, we're going about to have a break, and if you're interested in, in being part of our coaching business, or if you're interested in being coached by us, um, we're not even really sure what the hell we're going to be doing. You know they had no plan, but come up and put your business card on the stage. And so Julie and I were in the back of the room and we saw in essence what looked like 100% of the you know room just flood the stage and throw business cards up on the stage just like right away. Wow. We were like, no, there's an interesting opportunity. And so during that break, people were coming up to Julie and I asking us if we were coaching. And like after we said no a whole bunch of times because we didn't know what it was, we then started saying yes. And that's how we actually started coaching. We started our first coaching client. One of our first coaching clients was a guy named Michael. Well, Michael and Robin Gordon. And they've since gone on to be, I think, their top three uh, with um, Berkshire Hathaway. 
maybe it's Berkshire Hathaway. It used to be Fox and Roach. I think it's Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they've been, we've had a steady relationship with them for, you know, a couple decades and, you know, lots and lots and lots and lots of stories like that. We've had, we have coaching clients that have been with us for, you know, 10 years, 15 years. We've, you know, we were with them when their kids were born and now their kids are in college. So, you know, it's been interesting, but along the way, I mean, the business has changed a lot. The, um, but the core, the essence of the business is exactly the way it's always been. There's nothing's changed and nothing ever will really change as much social media people want you to think that it's going to change, it'll never change. It's always about direct communication. But long story short, you know, we've been in this business long enough that we've seen enough cycles. You know, we saw the, we probably, arguably we've been through four fairly major uh, recessions. I think the real estate crash that happened in really 06, 07, 08, um, really 09 was the most significant. The one that we're entering into now, I think it's going to be uh, not, not in terms of real estate, but in terms of the overall economy. It does appear that this is going to be a more substantial economic um, slowdown, reset, whatever words you want to use to kind of numb the pain of what it really is um, than we experienced back in 07. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. And, and all leading indicators are telling me that. But fast forward, Julie and I have a little eight-year-old daughter. She's almost nine. Uh, we live full-time in Puerto Rico. We live in the summer up here in Murphy, North Carolina. So I've skipped a bunch. If you have any more questions, it's really not that interesting. I, I assure you, we're very boring people. <laughs> well, there's there's a ton to dig into given the the length of time and the number of market cycles yeah. you've seen. But let's start with the one that's probably on most people's mind. What's What's the difference between what you think will happen now and the next few years in the real estate market? Uh, compared to that, we'll call it 06 to 09-ish period? Well, so I'm only going to be able to remember some of the points, but Julie and I did a podcast. It was one of our probably most downloaded podcasts in the past 12 months. Um, and it's, uh, I think, 15 reasons why there won't be a real estate crash, something like that. And there's 15 points that we really lined out. But uh, yeah, you get obviously iTunes and everywhere else for that. And just... Uh, Google uh, Tim and Julie Harris iTunes and you'll find our podcast. But in any event, the big reason is is because there's 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 a lot of big reasons. But the biggest one is this is an inflationary recession, and last time it was a deflationary, almost depression. What does that mean? It means that everything's going to go up in price, as I think everyone's noticed, and the prices are not going to come back down. So what you're paying for gas now, gas maybe it's not a good example, but what you're paying for most things is going to be the new reset. It's going to be the new price. And housing is definitely, uh, that's definitely true. Now, again, I don't have my notes in front of me, but there's a record amount of equity that people have in their homes right now. I think Mm -hmm. it's $22 trillion. Um, If I remember correctly, there's 330 homes or, again, I don't remember all my numbers, but the essence of it is half the homes in in the United States are owned outright. The other half of the homes um, that aren't owned, that have mortgages on them, have on average, I think it was 40% equity. Um, and here's the, another thing that's fascinating too when you think about this, is that you know what would cause a um, housing collapse or prices to really meaningfully reset in a downward way, you know, deflation? And it would be a whole bunch of people not uh, essentially not being able to afford their payments. Well, if you got a house really in the last, let's say, five or six years, you've got a mortgage interest rate which, um, and considering your equity position, I mean, houses nationwide in the past 12 months appreciated by, well, inflated really by 25%, right? So 
if you've got a house with a much a big amount of equity in it, and if you've got so if you think the average house in the United States is say four hundred thousand, and you've got twenty five thousand equity in it, that or twenty five percent means you got a hundred thousand equity, which means you probably also have a three and a half percent mortgage. You're not going to be able to rent, certainly not buy a house, uh, you know, with as low of an interest rate, or rent even the same house uh, for the same payment as your current payment. So there's all pretty much all the reasons why the housing collapsed, you know, fourteen years ago. Or exact opposite is happening now. I, I mean, I could talk forever about it, but that's really the truth. And I would also suggest that anyone who's trying to um, beat the drum of their now could there be some regional housing um, corrections? Yeah, sure. There could be if this um, if this recession because we're in a recession. So you have three options on the recession. The recession will either be a short one, two or three months. It'll be a longer one, say three months to a year. Or it's going to be over a year. So if you factor in all in every set of those, every one of those viable options uh, creates a certain amount of opportunities and creates a certain amount of you know you. There's different rules that you have to abide by depending on what your perspective is for those three different scenarios. Julie and I are in the camp that we're going to be in this recessionary time for more than a year. It doesn't make sense that it's going to be any less than a year. It's going to be more than a year. So if you're in a recession for more than a year, what could happen? is there could be a big drop off in employment and people could start losing their jobs and there could be whole sectors of the economy that have big layoffs. You're already starting to hear about that. Um, obviously, you know, we go with the one we're all familiar with the mortgage industry. They're laying off people left and right. Okay. Well, let's say for example, you are living in a small town and there's a couple mortgage companies that are there, big ones, processors, whatever, and they're doing a bunch of layoffs and those people, there's not people moving there to buy the houses that those people want to sell so they can move on to greener pastures. Well, there probably is going to be some house pricing, uh, you know, deflation in a market like that. But something else that happened that I think no one really talks about, but it's true. The government, and it doesn't matter who's, in, you know, Democrats or Republicans, it doesn't matter. The government has already clearly laid, drawn a line in the sand and said, in essence, if you can't make your mortgage payment, we're going to figure it out. You're going to do a forbearance. Look what happened after COVID. Well, that forbearance type approach to mortgages actually started really in 2008, 2009. You know, short sales and then they were doing all kinds of workouts. There are people that were not making payments in their houses for years, all kinds of different things. So it, the, the right or wrong, and we're not saying we're not, we're not giving our value um, or a moralistic, we're not moralizing on this. We're just saying in, all, in the reality, there won't be ever any sort of big, significant um, housing collapse or foreclosure tsunami or even really a, a meaningful short sale opportunity ever again because the government has already made it clear that if there's a need, they're going to essentially command Fannie Mae to um, you know allow people to do workouts. And the services are just going to do whatever the government says like they did after COVID. Is, is that, I know that's a lot of information, but that's our opinion, part of it. <laughs> no, I... I... I tend to agree. I mean, even with look at the last couple of years, you saw Trump threw a lot of money at at COVID, and then and then Biden did it as well. And I I don't think that trends will stop no matter who's in office. So I I agree with you on on that. I I, I think it'll lead to a situation where these higher prices price new people out. Like I I, I think it's going to be harder and harder for someone that doesn't own a home to to own it 
in the future. For now, right? So what happens in inflationary right. times like this? So the last inflationary time, um, I don't, I won't nerd out too much on this. I find this stuff interesting. Fast, I find it fascinating <laughs> because, generally speaking, history repeats itself, not like you know line by line, but it's sort of the macro trends repeat themselves. So this will blow your mind. At least it did. I thought it was interesting. So st the last big inflationary bout like this that everyone's starting to cite uh, started in 1971 and lasted till 1981. Ten years. Mm. And so when people say like, well, there's, you know, recessions are going to last, you know, a matter of months. The typical recession lasts two or three months, you know. Well, but we've never seen an inflationary cycle like this since basically, you know, 50 years ago. Now, what did it take to actually make the inflationary cycle end? It took rise, raising the interest rates to the same rate as inflation. Now, the, infla the uh, inflation rate was reported yesterday at 8.9%. Whether or not you believe that's true or not, personally, mm. it looks like they do things like owner's equivalent of rent. Like they're not figuring in the biggest expense that people have in their monthly budget, which is making their mortgage payment or their housing payment. They call up homeowners. This is true. I'm not making this up. Google it. It's crazy. They call up homeowners and they say, what would you pay for your house per month in rent? Like the homeowner has any clue what the rental market is. And that's what they, then they compare month over month. And then that's what they figure in as the inflation rate for housing. Do you understand what I just said? Sounds totally convoluted, right? Hey, hold that thought. Do you want to get a hundred tips for free from my best selling real estate book, the hyper local, hyper fast real estate agent? If you do go to hyperfasttips.com and you can download a hundred of my best tips today. Again, that's hyperfasttips.com. You can download a hundred tips on how to grow your business, get more clients, deliver more value to more people. Go to hyperfasttips.com. Yeah, well, I, I, th I think the other thing they do too is like, they look, at, they look at how much you spend on food, you know, for example, but they don't look at the quality of it. So if you, if you switch right. from steak to or ground quantity. beef. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, dude. And right? quantity too. Like if you notice all the portions are getting smaller. I mean, Julie, like if Julie was reading something, again, we're nerds. So like paper towel rolls are getting skinnier, you know? I mean, it's crazy, but it is what it is. It's, and it's because the businesses, the businesses do not want to raise prices. The businesses have to maintain margins and most margins on most consumer products are tiny, single digits. So they either can do one of two things. They can reduce the quantity or they can raise the price. Well, if they raise the price, it puts them in a competitive disadvantage because if their competitor doesn't raise the price, that means their competitor is going to sell more of their product, right? So what these manufacturers of everything have to do is they have to figure out a way to make their economy work. So they lessen the amount of quantity that they sell. But anyway, so back to this interest rate scenario. So interest, you're saying it's going to be harder for new first time buyers to buy houses. I'm, I'm, I, I'll make this and I agree with you in the short run. So then what happened was Paul Volcker raised the rates to essentially 18%, which was what the perceived inflation rate was. Um, and this right now that we're experiencing right now, the worst inflation um, since then. So we're on a, we are on a trend to essentially have an inflation rate that's very similar to what it was then. And, and here's a funny question when people try to politicize what inflation is. It's so funny. Like, go and look at your, you know, your visa bill, your American Express bill, when you went grocery shopping 12 months from now and compare how much you spent 12 months from now to how much you're spending now and calculate how much more you spend as a percent now versus 12 months from now. And I bet you it's at least 20% more. You get it? That's your inflation rate. So mm. your inflation rate, my inflation rate, that's your inflation rate. So whatever the government says is just noise. Does that make sense?
Yeah. So yeah, what's I, I tend to think it's probably double, like whatever they yeah, tell us. It is. Well, it is. But... I think it is too, honestly. Well, look, housing went up 25% in the last 12 months. I mean, what? So, you know, that means that, I mean, everything's going up. It is what it is. Eventually what happens um, if the, you know, there's big recessions and there's big uh, layoffs, uh, then obviously that, that drives down wages and it creates this long stagnation thing, which is some people are predicting that. Um, but eventually wages catch up. So eventually people start getting paid more after the economy sorts itself out and then people can buy houses again. <laughs> when my parents didn't buy their first house mm. uh, until they were in their forties, for example, because, you know, I was born in 1970. And so for the first 10 years, my brother, sister, and I were getting raised, you know, everything was super expensive and they couldn't save for a house. And it wasn't until, you know, I was like 11 or 12 that they bought their first house, something like that. You, you know, you get what I'm saying? That's just the cycle we're in. Yeah. You know, so the the idea that you're going to be able to buy your house. Well, here, here's the thing. I, again, I'm not remembering all my math, but I think it's the average net worth of somebody who's a homeowner is 75 times that of a renter. I'm pretty sure that's right. And one of the grace, greatest wow. delineators, I know it's incredible. One of the greatest delineators of um, wealth and prosperity long-term, especially generationally, is home ownership. Isn't that incredible? Um, and so what's going to happen, what we are expecting to happen is that uh, housing is going to not have any sort of big def uh, deflation. There will be more moderate inflation or appreciation over the next three to five years. That's what we're expecting to happen. There will not be a big bunch of new listings for sale. It's going to stay a seller's market for a long period of, uh, to come. Um, there's a lot of aspirational pricing that's happening right now. You know, people are pricing as if the market was still inflating like it was, you know, for the past few years and sellers are going to have to moderate their expectations. You know, everything's shifting. That's what's going on. What, how do you think real estate agents should react and prepare to this? Cause it seems like a lot of them are kind of almost, almost panicking, uh, in some of the communication they they send out like there's this huge shift and like some of them are kind of predicting 2008-9 again but in, no, in general what do you think the agents yeah. should be doing right now <laughs> well that's really the bottom line as far as the um okay so will there be a could agents create their own uh you know financial depression their own personal one absolutely and that's exactly what's going to happen because a lot again we've been through cycles like this julie and i four times before and um a lot of the things that agents do when the market is when everyone's buying when everyone has fomo fear of missing out from a buyer side fear of missing out from the seller side all that when there's massive demand in the marketplace and interest rates are low there's a lot of things that agents can will do in fooling themselves into believing that they're creating business for themselves that they have to stop doing when the it's the old when the tide goes out you can see who's swimming without a bathing suit so a lot of the things that agents have yeah. invested money in the social networking the videos the all the rest of it all that stuff it was only ever supposed to be like maybe 10 percent of what you spend your time on in, in your business and what's happened because of the fact the houses were selling themselves because of the fact it wasn't really a skills-based market because of the fact that there were so many people who wanted to buy so many houses um, that you were not, it wasn't necessary if you'd have skill sets. I mean, you didn't have to know how to price a house correctly. It sold itself even if you overpriced it. You did not know how have to know how to, you know, get a price reduction. Who was lowering prices, you know? All these things are, are now what agents, this whole generation for the last 10 years, you know, 
with Julie and I's podcast, we'll have sometimes 50, 60,000 people downloaded in a day. And I always have to remind myself and I have to remind Julie that probably 99% have only been in the business for five years or less. So they have no clue what it's like to sell in a transitioning market, let alone a buyer's market. So like what agents have to do is they have to stop and ask themselves a simple question. Is the effort that I'm putting forth, uh, re uh, you know, resulting in me helping somebody and making money? And is the correlation between my effort and my result less than 90 days? In other words, what can I do now to make money now? Hmm. <laughs> Not create something that maybe one day will create money for me. Those, those hypotheticals, those need to be set aside and stop doing them, stop wasting your time on them because they never really worked in the first place. And like I said, the direct marketing, the branding, the social networking, all that media stuff, becoming an influencer, all that stuff, it has validity, but it's not supposed to be 100% of your business. It was only supposed to be like 90% of your business is supposed to be spent on direct communication, 10% maybe on the other stuff. But what agents did is they've been fooled into believing the opposite is true. And now they're going to realize if they don't transition fast that what they really do is need to have is a skills-based business. You need to know what to say. You need to know how to say it. Knowledge equals confidence. Ignorance equals fear. I mean, that's really the bottom line. So when the market is, is easy, like it's been the last several years, I, I, I agree with you. I think agents, you know, they, they, they don't analyze where is, you know, where is the money actually coming from? Where are my clients actually coming from? What marketing is actually working? You know, they, they don't, what lead sources should I do well, more let, of? Let's, let's talk I, about I, that. I, Jules, Jules and I talked about this on our podcast yeah. yesterday, and I thought it was really a fascinating conversation. So let's say your name is Bob and you want to have a pie shop, okay? And you're going to open up your pie shop. You're going to do it. And let's say you do some homework and you're going to open up in a community where there's lots of people that can afford to buy $20 pies. You've done some preliminary research. Um, you sell a great product. You have a great store, you know, friendly people when you walk in. You always have a bunch of pies. Now, you are going to have to uh, do marketing to get people to come into your store. You're going to have to do some couponing. You're going to have to do some promotions. You're going to have to be involved in the community to get people to know. you. Not only do you have to build a great product, but you have to create the demand for your product. Now, over time, you might get some repeat customers and things like that if you do it well. But at the end of the day, you are constantly having to look for customers to buy your pies. That never stops. Real, and so that's where marketing and branding, really, that's where marketing has a place. Branding is the byproduct of having done a good job for people for a long period of time. Like, well, how branding is being sold now is you can create this brand and you can sort of shortcut or skip the step of actually having earned the reputation of being someone that's an excellent mm. real estate practitioner, that branding, your branding is supposed to somehow fool people into believing that you've, you've already you know, achieved it because look at me, I'm leaning against my purple Lamborghini kind of thing, right? That's what branding is. But what you're <laughs> looking at is, let's say for example, in the pie shop analogy, you have, you're Bob, you want a pie shop, you need to go out there and you need to find people to buy your pie. So you're going to be doing couponing. You're going to be doing, you know, different, 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 makes sense, right? I mean, just if you had a car detail shop, if you were cutting grass, if whatever, you need to market, you need to look for customers. Now, the difference is in real estate, you don't actually have to spend any money looking for customers because the customers are already self-identify. So let's go back to Bob and his pie shop. If Bob opens up his shop and he's in some conveniently located, you know, everything I just said, but then he actually can get a list of all the people in that surrounding community that 
say, yes, I want to buy a pie. And every day, you know, he's given a fresh list of all the 20 or 40 or 100 people that want to buy a pie every single day. So Bob turns on his computer and boom, there's his pie customers. And then he has to call the pie people. It's cherry, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Which, which kind of pie you want, you already self-identify as wanting a pie. Or he maybe goes to their door. He, you know, somehow he's going to, they, they then self-identify. He then doesn't have to do all the marketing and advertising to find his customers because he knows who his customers already are. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does, right? Yeah. Well, in real estate, the same damn thing happens. People self-identify. Mm. Sellers in every community and every every damn part of the country who are self-identified have their hands in the air and say, yes, I want to sell my house. And yet agents think they have to market and brand themselves. The customers, the people you're supposed to be soliciting are right freaking there. Why don't you just go right to those customers? Why are you spending all this time making this TikTok videos? It doesn't make sense. It's a disconnect. And largely agents, frankly, have been fooled into believing that they don't have to have skills, that they create enough influence, the world's going to come to them. And again, it's a nine, it's the 90-10 rule. So why don't you instead get the list of the people who have their hands in the air in your marketplace, and then you go and you call them. You learn what to say, how to say it. You go door knock. How did Julie and I sell 100 houses our first year? I just told you. We didn't have any money. We had no budget. We did not. We, what we did is we looked for for sale by owners. Then we learned how to work expireds. We didn't even have scripts. We went and knocked on their doors. And we sold over 100 homes, 103 homes our first year, and every year after that. Now, why wouldn't everyone do that? Hey, hold that thought for a minute. Do you want to take your real estate business to the next level? If you do, there's no reason to go it alone. Learn from people who've been where you want to go. Carrie and I have sold billions of dollars in real estate. We've netted over seven figures for seven years in a row now. And we want to see if you would be a good fit to work for us. We don't work with a lot of people but we wanna give you a chance to get on a free strategy call to see if we can help you get your business to the next level. Go to hyperfastcoach.com and apply for your discovery session today. Again, that's hyperfastcoach.com. I, th I think most people are afraid to do it. They don't, they don't wanna put in the work. They don't, they're not consistent about it. Um, you know, I, I think they, they want it to come easier is, is my, my take on that yep. because there, yep. there's probably not a market in the United States where you couldn't go out and do exactly what you said, call the expires, call the FISBOs, knock on doors and sell that, 30, dude, dude. 40, 50 homes a year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. And that's, you know, like people ask when you get into, when we start, uh, when we take our new client, um, let's say they're a new agent, let's say, what should I do first? Well, we set them up with the basics and the basics is going to be the basics. It's going to be discipline, daily schedule. It's going to be developing the habits and routines, right? And then we're going to, you know, you're going to work on your centers of influence while you're perfecting uh, one of the lowest hanging fruit on your leads tree. Probably going to be for sale by owners. Might be expires. Might be notice defaults. Might be, you know, oh, there's all these different sources of business we teach you to go after. But if you can get into your head the insanity of, of having to spend money to try to find people to, that want to sell their houses – when they already self-identify, when you can actually realize the futility of doing, or you know, of doing that, of spending that money doing that stuff, you you can't be talked into doing it again. Um, that's what I'm trying to do right now for all your folks that are going to end up listening. You know, mm. I'm wanting them to realize that this is actually the easiest, most elegant business you can be in, as long as you see it for what it is. Your job is to, you know, contact the people that need to sell a house. Your job is then to know what to say and how to say it. 
Your job is then to answer questions and, you know, earn the right to be their listing agent and list their house. And from that, you'll develop dozens and dozens and dozens of transactions. Why do you think so many agents struggle with that? I mean, you, you know, as well as anyone, how high the failure rate is. Because <laughs> they're not listening to this podcast because they don't come across mm -hmm. Julie and I's podcast because they basically get into real estate and they, you know, follow some YouTube coach, which is telling them that they can brand and, you know, social network their way to success. They are, they, they get tapped into the, you know, well, their biggest reason is, is because the business for the last 10 years or even 15 years has come relatively easy. And again, it goes back to that FOMO thing, right? So if you look at um, centers of influence and past clients and, you know, it was, it was very, and the whole, how, what kind of like, think of the generation of agents that have gone into the business and they went to their office manager, or their broker, or the, you know, what should I do? And they all said, buy leads, buy buyer leads. I mean, buying buyer leads, there's a whole bunch of people who've only been buying buyer leads their entire careers. So they don't know how to proactively lead mm. generate. All of those people are going to be suffering in a market like this unless they happen across something like this where, you know, they have an epiphany and they wake up and realize that they need to pivot. That's ultimately the reason why, lack of exposure. Well, hopefully they'll listen to this podcast and, and your podcast that you do with your wife, Julie. Uh, I know we're, you've, you've got another appointment to go to so we can uh, start to wrap up here. But uh, I love the insight that you brought on both the market, investing, and being an agent. I always like to end with a hyper-fast round if you are ready for a couple rapid-fire questions. Uh, sure. All right. What's your biggest piece of advice to a new real estate agent? Um, so we lived in Texas for a while. The first thing that popped in my mind when you said is suck it up buttercup, but I'll say it a little bit nicer. If you want long, <laughs> if, you want, if you want ever increasing long-term, uh, levels of success in your business and personal life, do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. If you want ever increasing, in other words, you don't have to have ups and downs. If you want ever increasing levels of success financially, personally, spiritually, you know, skills, everything familiarly in your business and personal life, you have to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. That is the mm. bottom line. Love that. What's the biggest mistake you see successful real estate agents making? Uh, over. Um, so remember the three scenarios for different recessions. Remember short one, medium yep. one, long one. Most agents aren't even prepared for the short one. They, they, and most agents, mm. most, you said successful agents, right? So most successful agents have got a lot of expenditure that they're not holding accountable to results. They built these big buyer agent teams that have, uh, that are, um, buying buyer leads. They have all these expenses. And I saw this, Julie and I saw this and it's tragic that happened back in 07. So what happens is when the market slows down, people will fool themselves. They'll convince themselves that it's not going to affect them. It's only going to be a slowdown temporarily. It's all going to be fine. Da, 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 da. And so what quickly happens is that their, their overhead uh, stays the same. Their, their profit, if they have very much, remember most brokerages make less than 3% profit. Let's say most teams make around 10% profit. But if all of a sudden you're transactionally slowing down, your average sale price might be, you know, adversely affected commission, whatever, whatever you have commission compression to the point where you're operating in the red. And what happens then is agents will start using their personal money borrowing against, you know, I mean, I, again, we've been doing this for a long time. So the, the human tragedy that comes from 
uh, take slowly being uh, taking action in a, in a market like this is, is real. You know, the worst types of things happen to people in markets like this because they lose faith and confidence in themselves. They destroy their marriages. They destroy their health. They destroy their finances. Finances goes first usually. Um, yeah, so the, the I would say the biggest mistake top producing agents make is they wait too long uh, to change. And so how do I encapsulate that? This is what we're telling brokerages too. So this is top producing agents. This is teams. This is brokerages. Everybody else. Absolutely, positively, uh, make sure you're uh, cash flow positive and you've got to have at least a year's worth of operating expenses saved in cash, uh, ideally two years worth. And that's because it's very likely that in the next 12 months, you're going to have to do a a pivot in your business model that will necessitate you operating in the red. You're gonna those buyers agents aren't going to make sense anymore. You're gonna have to just do different things to start making the, the math work. And if you don't have some cash savings, but mostly it's people's ego. They believe that somehow that, you know, what's happening in the economy or what's happening in the marketplace isn't gonna adversely affect them and they wait too long and you know, all the bad things happen. All right, last question. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Uh, well, <laughs> see myself physically, see myself emotionally, see myself financially. <laughs> Which one? All of the above? Uh, whichever one you, you want to talk about. <laughs> uh, I would, uh, based on what, the, the, again, Julie and I, for the past 31 years, we have certainly um, been through the ups and downs of the economy, but we know at the end of the day, if we continue to do what we've been doing, that we will be able to accomplish uh, some incredible things with our lives, and that's what we're going to continue doing. We want to write more books, but really, honestly, I mean, we're going to be living in Puerto Rico. We live at the Ritz-Carlton in Puerto Rico. We live basically by the beach. We see Ricky Martin surfing practically every day, you know, so we're going to stay there. <laughs> we see him. I mean, he's not there now. He's on tour, but... I mean, you know, we love our place here. We want to do more traveling. Really, in 10 years, what Julie and I want to have done, financially, I'm sure the, the trajectory we're on now is going to continue. In 10 years, what we really want to do is we want to have, we really want to know for sure, because I'll be 62. We want to know for sure that we have made the impact on agents' lives in the most meaningful way possible. And, and I'll, I'll tell you how I can see how that manifests that I know we're on, on track. Like when I look at the, um, when I hear people use Tim and Julie sayings without knowing it came from us, you know, like the doing what you don't wanna do and you don't wanna do mm -hmm. it at the highest level, things like that, that tells me we're having an impact. When I see all the people that are giving us five-star reviews on iTunes, that's how I know we're having an impact. When we're having all these people join our coaching program, and there's and, and they're like so if, if we can if we can help you learn how to be a listing agent and you all of a sudden develop the skill set and this mindset that follows this you know don't work on your mindset first work on your skill set and get into action and your mindset will follow you're not only going to be a better person individually and make more money individually you're going to be a better father you're going to be a better spouse you're going to be a better you know member of your community you're going to then you are then going to have that inner desire to take what it is that you have learned in your life and share it with other people. And then collectively, all we all are is there's a big pond and all Julie and I are, all you are, it's just a little pebble that drops in the ripples that come from that. 
you know, my intent is to make our pebble a little bit bigger than maybe, you know, what it otherwise would have been. So our ripples will go farther so we can have the most positive impact on as many people as we possibly can. That really is truly our mission because we know ultimately well, I love that. Stand, everything follows. Everything follows that. I love that analogy. Love that vision. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. If people want to uh, learn more about what uh, you and Julie are doing, I know you mentioned the podcast, but what are, what are the best ways for them to connect? Well, I'll tell you what I've done for your listeners and for your viewers is that if they want to work in a, you, you know, how are agents and brokerages supposed to be uh, dealing with this changing market? Well, here's what we did. We're making our premier coaching program free for the first 30 days. We've never done that before. So all they have to do is text the word premier to 47372. So text the word premier to 47372 and they can join premier coaching for the first 30 days. And that includes a daily semi-private coaching session. Uh, with your hair certified coach every single workday, scripts, objection handlers, really uh, you know, your 90-day massive action plan, your fill-in-the-blank business plan, all the things that agents need to be doing now to frankly get into the right actions for this new marketplace, it's all free. So, you know, we had to ask ourselves, well, this market's changing fast. What are we mm. going to do to be of service to other people as much as we can? Well, we know Premier Coaching is the home run for everyone. So, you know, text the word premiere to 47372. Oh, and message and data rates may apply. You always have to say that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Tim. And to all of our listeners and viewers, sure. thanks for tuning in. Please share this with other people that you think would benefit from listening and watching. We'll see you next time. Fantastic. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure and go to hyperfastagent.com to learn about upcoming in-person and online events. And don't forget to share this show with someone that you think could benefit from hearing it and make sure you subscribe on YouTube or anywhere that you can find podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyperfast Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyperfashions. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests, improve our shows, and give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time. Hey guys, thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you enjoyed that video, and if you want to see more, click right here. And if you want 100 real estate tips from my best-selling book, click right here to download them instantly. And if you're new to this channel, click below to subscribe.